I want to ask you to open your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 28. And uh, this is a hallmark passage that we're going to look at today in the Christian faith. It is known as the Great Commission. If you grew up uh, in an evangelical church, you grew up especially in a Southern Baptist church, uh, you grew up uh, hearing this famous passage of Scripture of Jesus sending His disciples out into the world, ultimately uh, to make other disciples. This passage comes right after Jesus has risen from the grave and just before He ascends back to the Father and He is giving His disciples some last words here, some last instructions. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word as we read from Matthew chapter 28. And we are going to begin in verse 16, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Lord, for so many of us, this passage is very familiar. But Lord, the the great commission, the call to go and make disciples, Lord, should be everything but from familiar and mundane, boring. God, it should be something, Lord, that rouses our hearts, God, that moves us. So Lord, today, as as we talk about, God, the call to make disciples, Lord, and even in the next several weeks as we explain our role in that the church and, God, how we do that together, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, God, would you send us out? God, would you give us wisdom God, would you direct us, Lord? And I pray that today, God, that I would only speak what you would have me to say for your name and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, there's so much going on in this famous passage of Scripture and its context and everything leading up to it. But the, the center, the central part of this Great Commission is where Jesus tells his disciples, Go and make disciples of all the nations. The word disciple in the Greek language means pupil or learner. When Jesus calls his disciples to go and make disciples, he's essentially calling them to go and make other followers of Jesus who will spend their lives knowing and serving him. A phrase I picked up several years ago to help define what a disciple of Jesus is, is this. this. A Christian disciple is simply a fully devoted follower of Jesus. A fully devoted follower of Jesus. This morning at Enon, we will begin a series here at Enon entitled, Our Discipleship Pathway. Uh, The call to make disciples, as we'll see this morning, is a chief function of every Christian. And it's the main function of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to help equip, support, and encourage followers of Jesus to do what God has called us to do. So one of the primary functions of the church is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ or disciples and to help them go out to help create and to make other fully devoted followers of Christ. And with that in mind, the purpose of this series in the next several weeks is threefold. First, in this series, we want to state in the days ahead what a disciple is. 
In the next couple of weeks, we're going to give you, and prayerfully, we've been working on this for a year, uh, some measurable markers in our church that, according to Scripture, help define what a fully devoted follower of Christ is, what a disciple is. And so that's going to help you in two different ways. It's going to help you know where you are on your spiritual journey and how maybe you can take some next steps in your spiritual journey to become a fully devoted follower of Christ, or... It can help you in making disciples of other people so that you can serve and complete the mission of God. Robert Lewis, a pastor and a friend of mine, actually said uh, years ago, he said that you can never become what you can't define. And so we want to give some clear markers for what a disciple is to help us fulfill that spiritual journey in our own lives and to help others do that as well. And also in this series, we want to illustrate our process as a church in making disciples and helping other people become disciple-makers. Everything that we do here at Enon is intentional. It's intentional part of the discipleship plan. A plan to help us all grow in our relationships with Christ, to become fully devoted followers of Christ, and ultimately to help other people do that as well. You can see our logo that's on the screen there with the descending order. And in the days ahead, we're going to use that logo to kind of help define our process. We're going to put some labels on each of those levels to help explain what the process is. But, but eventually, the top level is the world. It is, it is people in the world. And how do we funnel people down towards becoming fully devoted followers of Christ that are helping other people become fully devoted followers of Christ? And so we're going to help explain that in the days ahead. And then also, we want to motivate people to take their next steps in the journey. We want to motivate you in the days ahead in this series to know what are my next steps to becoming a disciple of Jesus, a fully devoted follower of Christ, or what are my next steps to going out and making disciples of Jesus. And friends, Regardless if you know it or not, uh, as we talked about in the last uh, several weeks, as we've been really pressing into prayer and fasting and intimacy with God, I want you to know that God always has a next step for you in your walk with God. God always has more. There's always more. We want to help you see that. And honestly, as we see the world around us, and the brokenness and honestly some moral decline around us. And it's real easy to get mad about that and to get angry about that. And, and to look to government, to look to teachers and educators, to look to doctors and so many other things. At the end of the day, one of the greatest things that is needed in the world around us, the greatest thing that is needed in the world around us is Jesus and God's people going out and making Disciples. If we want to see the world around us change, only Jesus has the power to change. And so that's the goal of our journey in the days ahead. So now let's jump back to Matthew chapter 28. Again, this is the hallmark passage of the Great Commission. The title of our message this morning is Your Mission, the Great Commission. In 1787, William Carey who was a former shoe cobbler called preacher in England, he posed a question in a meeting among many ministers. He's asking the correct question. Is the call of the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, is it still effectual? Is it still matter to us here today? A renowned pastor and author of that day stood up and rebuked Kerry. He's saying, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do so without your help or mine. 
And it was statements like that that was causing the church in his day to begin to die and perish. But regardless of how embarrassed Carey was and the harsh rebuke by such a renowned elder and pastor, it did not deter him. The more that he studied the scriptures, the more he felt moved by God to take the gospel of Jesus to those who do not know it and ultimately led him to give his life on the mission field as he would travel to India as one of the first Westerners to go to India to bring the gospel and thus started the modern missions movement. Today... We in America owe so much of our efforts in evangelism. We're taking mission trips to the Amazon and doing other things because of men like William Carey who went first. But it did not come without a cost. The burden that led Carey to go out and take the gospel to others ultimately led to the fact where he buried two sons on the mission field and he ultimately buried two wives on the mission field as well. But he continued to be faithful for the glory of Jesus and because of the command of the Great Commission. In America today, we often don't need to only go to the nations or cross an ocean to make disciples. Many of us, for all we need to do is just walk across the street to be obedient to this call. Or rather, walk to another lunchroom table or engage another friend at PE on a sports team or something like that. The question we must ask this morning is that as Christians today in 2023 in North Jefferson County, Alabama, we've got to ask the question, are we really convinced that the Great Commission should be our mission in life? That's a pretty profound question. Are we convinced that this commission, this sending of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, is that our mission in life? To answer that question this morning, I'm going to give you a few truths if you're keeping notes from this passage. First, this passage reminds us that the Great Commission should be our mission because of the extent of the call. As we look at the words of Jesus to his followers in this passage, a question might be asked, and it's very similarly uh, that William Carey was asking there, is just because Jesus sent out his first disciples to go and make disciples, does that mean that Jesus wants us to do that? Is that call still effectual to us today? Well, let me give you a a little lesson on biblical authority here. The the easiest, simplest answer is yes, because we see it in the Scriptures. The Bible shows us and affirms over and over again that the Bible is not just God's Word that was authoritative in that day, but it is also God's Word and is authoritative to us here today. It had original audiences. So while the, the Bible may not have not had, or the scriptures may not have been written to us, they are written for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is a great passage that speaks to the authority of all scripture perpetually in our life. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man, or you can say woman of God, may be adequately equipped for every good work. Today, the Bible shows us over and over again that the words of Scripture are intended to lead and guide our lives today. So as we see this passage of Scripture, Jesus speaking to those original disciples are sending them out, then that also should speak to us today that we too have been given that commission. But even beyond that, even if we didn't know that, There is evidence in Matthew chapter 28 itself in the phrasing and the language that Jesus Jesus uses to show us that he always had in mind and that moment there on that mountain when Jesus was, was commissioning his disciples, he always had the next generation of Christians 
in mind. He was always intending this to be a call, not just for them, but to all of us. Let me give you a few of those phrases. Let me tell you how you can see that. First, we can see that the Great Commission extends to us today because in verse 19, Jesus commissions his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. Now that phrase, all nations, nations there in the Greek is ethnos. It's actually the same word where we get the word ethnicity and how people are differing ethnicities. In in that day, it meant tribes or people groups. Jesus is essentially telling them here, you are to go and bring the gospel. You are to go make disciples of all people groups on the planet Earth. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, we see this all over Scripture, that Jesus always had in mind that the gospel would be taken to everyone of every tribe, nation, and tongue. In Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus said, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. Jesus said there's a day coming when the gospel will go to everyone. Every people group would have heard about Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, the, the, John records a song, a singing heaven in the end times where people are praising God and, and they're praising Him from every people group on the earth. It says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its, break its seals. For you were slain and purposed for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. This is a picture there in heaven that, man, when we get to heaven, there will be those people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, every people group on the planet in whom Jesus has saved. So when Jesus says, go and bring the gospel to all nations, he meant all nations here. Now, if anyone believes that the Great Commission was just meant for that original audience, for just those original disciples of Jesus, then we would have to conclude that they failed their mission. Because they didn't make it. We know where the disciples went. We know where they ended up going. They went some great distances. But they didn't make it to all nations. Now what we know of their lives is they were so devoted to the gospels that church history shows us that virtually every follower, every of those original disciples of Jesus, every one of them gave their life as a martyr for Jesus. So none of us could say with a straight face that these men who gave everything and ultimately gave their lives for the gospel that they failed their mission. But rather what we should see is is when Jesus talked about all nations, go and make disciples of all nations, he went, that's the goal. And these men who were there first, they started that goal. And then once they passed away, the next generation of Christians, they take on that mantle and they continue to bring the gospel. The next generation, they continue to make disciples and they continue to date the gospel to people around us. But it shows us here, even in the text of the Great Commission, The fact that he sent them to all nations meant the Great Commission is continual. It is perpetual. It is God sending generations of Christians out to make disciples. Other language here, the second way we can see the Great Commission extends to us today is Jesus' use of the phrase, the end of the age. In verse 20, towards the end of the, this, this great commission, Jesus gives a beautiful promise to those who would go and make disciples, telling them that he would be with them until the end of the age. What a, what a beautiful promise. He says, lo, I will be with you even into the end of the age. I remember hearing Brother John preach this message years ago, and he would always say, and that's why you don't need to get on a plane, because Jesus said, and lo, I will be with you into the end of the age. Not high, you know. But basically, that's a beautiful promise. And I want you to hear this this morning. There's a a perpetual promise there that those who are going out and making disciples, 
that they will experience the nearness of Jesus. Now, I can experience the nearness of Jesus when I get up in the morning, I'm having my quiet time, when I'm meeting with the Lord. But I will be honest with you here today. There is some unique and special ways that you meet with God while you're in the midst of serving Him that is unique in your relationship with God. You've never experienced the fullness of Jesus on the level that you will when you get in the game, when you start serving, which is why it's so important to be a member of the church to come to things like Starting Point because only members can we give you a place to serve. But one of the things that is not being said here in this passage, he doesn't say to these men, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of your lives. He says, lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. In the Greek, that, that phrase means to the consummation of all things. Jesus is talking about the end of time. So again, he can't be talking about just these disciples or these original men. He's talking to the broader Christian audience. He is saying, I will be with all who will go on and make disciples up until the day I return. It is a perpet- Jesus is here giving a perpetual promise as part of a continuous calling for Christian people. Church, if you're here today and this is the first time you have ever heard this passage of Scripture, or if you have heard this passage of Scripture your entire life, I want you to hear it afresh this morning. The Great Commission is God's call to all who truly know Him to set as the priority of your life to make Him known to others and to help others follow Him. Now today that can make you feel many things, but one of the main things it should cause you to feel is that you matter, you are important, you have an assignment by your king. I remember when I was in 10th grade playing football at Mormon Jordan High School. I was in ninth grade, and I got to, to play some. I got to get in the ball game some, which was, which was I was proud of that as a ninth grader. And, and, uh, but in the 10th grade, I got to be in the starting rotation uh, for defensive tackle. There's two different def- defensive tackle positions there, and I got to be in that starting rotation. And we kind of made it through the season, but we were getting, in to getting ready for the playoffs. And I remember on a Monday, first day uh, of that week of practice, and our head coach came out, and he said, Guys, I know we've been doing a lot of substitutions, a lot of trading out, but we need some people up front who are going to own these positions and and we need this to be your job to lose or to keep and so he wrote two numbers on the board the first number he wrote was number 52 a friend of mine who's here uh, this morning and then the next number he wrote on there was number 66 which was my number I was number 66 in your program number one in your heart you know so hey I I remember that moment the first thing I felt is I wanted to puke in the floor okay (laughs) this is But then right after that, I was excited. I was filled with excitement and anticipation because I was getting put in the game. Some of you here this morning are searching for purpose in your life. You feel you were created for more than your present state. And that doesn't always mean that you need a new career. It never means that you need a new spouse. It doesn't mean that you need a new hobby. And it doesn't mean that you need new money. But rather, the purpose in life that most people are seeking is to serve the God who created them. Friends, I want you to know something today. The extent of God's call to go and make disciples is a call that travels from the pages of Scripture over 2,000 years and makes its way into Morris, Alabama, into Enon Baptist Church, and makes its way all the way to your footsteps at your pew right there where you sit. Jesus' call is still effectual today, and He's calling you to go. What an exciting call. And He's also calling for all of those who are here this morning, who don't really know Jesus, he's saying, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
So our first truth today is we need to know the extent of the Great Commission meets us right where we are. Our second truth today is that the Great Commission should be our mission because of the authority of Jesus. One of the major problems that people have when they study the Bible is they often take passages of Scripture out of context. Which means they just look at one verse of Scripture and they don't look at everything else that's going on around that. That can be dangerous in a lot of ways, but it also can cause you just to miss the fullness of what God is doing. Many people, when they start reading the Great Commission, this famous hallmark passage of Scripture for evangelical Christians, is verse 19. They start there. They say, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. However, the context of the Great Commission, you should really look at verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, Jesus tells them to go to the mountain where he had designated for them to go. They go there, and in verse 17, this is what is recorded. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Hey, time out right here for a moment. Jesus is about to give every one of these men this great commission. These are his servants. These are I men. Christianity rests in these, men hand, these men's hands, and they don't have perfect faith. They're not perfect people, by the way. If you've been reading through the chronological one-year Bible... How many of you have, have honestly seen, we're some messed up folks in the Old Testament, okay? I mean, like, listen, it's like a soap opera in there, okay? Hey, you know what? God still uses them. God still uses messed up and broken people. But right here in this passage, he says, some were doubtful. And then Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. This is a massive statement here. Is Jesus is talking about his authority. Let me say this to you this morning. We can't even fathom what fully that means. Now, one day, we'll see it come to fruition. We, we don't really know. We got, we got glimpses of what it means when Jesus comes to set up his authority. But, but again, we don't see the, the whole picture here. But, but th- this is intentional. Jesus is letting these men know before he sends them out that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to have all authority in heaven? It means that... Everything that he desires will come to fruition. It means that he has all authority over all angels and hosts of heaven. When Jesus looks to the angels and says, go, they go. It means that he has the authority in heaven to say, when we leave this world in death, when we stand before him, he will say to those who know him, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will say to those who do not know him, depart from me, I never knew you, which is a reality. Even the world will not proclaim that today and we, we continue to go on as though nobody, there is no judgment in this life beyond your own intention and your own heart and life. The reality is, is that's not true. There is a God who created you and what happens in this life you will answer for before a holy and righteous God. It also means that as we pray, man, that our prayers come into heaven before Jesus and He has the power to answer and do His Will. It means that everything in the will of God is perfectly executed through him. And then he has all authority in, on earth. This means that every king that reigns on earth has their dominion only as he wills. It means that every person that is born on earth, he is their God, whether they acknowledge him or not. It means that every action that humanity takes either meets his approval or disapproval. And the Bible says in Philippians 2.10 that one day when he returns and takes up his throne on this earth, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on, on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a real day, by the way. That day's coming. I remember a pastor friend of mine said one time that Jesus is king, and that means you can't impeach him. He's not going to resign. You didn't vote him in, and you can't vote him out. 
You might say, Pastor Zach, what does Jesus having all authority in heaven on earth have to do with him sending us out to go and make disciples? Let me give you a few reasons. Because Jesus is king and has all authority, it means that he demands our submission to the Great Commission. Jesus looked at his disciples, I have just raised from the grave. I have all authority on heaven and on earth, and I'm about to give you a command. And that means that's a command that you cannot ignore. So many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus take the great commission and the call to go and make disciples as a suggestion from God. As something to do on occasion, if at all. However, the command that is given to all who claim Christ today comes from He who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And to disobey this command is to ignore an explicit command from our general, our captain, and our king. Friends, today the call to make disciples is not an optional elective, but it is a required course. If you say today, I am certain, if you take comfort today in the blood of Jesus, that if you were to die tonight that you would spend eternity in heaven because of His blood, then you can't celebrate that and at the same time ignore the Great Commission. Secondly, because Jesus is King and has all authority, He deserves His splendor through the Great Commission. Another possible reason why Jesus is reminding them that he has all authority in heaven on earth before he sends them out is he's reminding them that they are going to represent one in whom the world has never seen. Prior to Jesus' resurrection, his reputation was all over the map. People who saw him in a favorable light saw him as a teacher, a healer, or a prophet. And then others who saw him in a negative light saw him as a heretic, a sorcerer, a false teacher, one who was worthy of death. But after his resurrection, now his disciples see that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he is telling them essentially, I have all authority on heaven and on earth. Am I not worthy to be proclaimed? You know, in the days before State of the Union speeches, And primetime news, if a king had a message that he wanted to get out to the world, he would send out his heralds. Basically, one of the main responsibilities of a herald uh, was you needed to have a loud voice, okay? And, but, but, but you went to a community, you went to the town squares, you went to these areas, and you would proclaim, hear ye, hear ye, from the king. He would give these great announcements. Sometimes he would proclaim that the king is coming. Sometimes he would proclaim a new edict from the king. Now, this, was a, this had a very practical purpose, but it also had a ceremonial purpose. See, the role of the herald was to represent the glory of the king and the kingdom. And so often he would come dressed in robes. And he would come with a great court of soldiers around him. He would attest to the greatness of the king because many people, they may not ever even lay eyes on the physical king, but the king was still worthy of his glory and his reputation. Friends, as Jesus sends these first followers of Christ out with the knowledge that they were going to represent the King of Kings, He who is worthy of all fame and glory, we too are being sent out to make disciples, not just for the sake of those who do not know Him, but for the glory of Jesus who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning. Is the glory and fame and reputation of Jesus a concern for you. Man, think about that. Think about how think about the level at which we worry about our own reputation. Our own concern. When I get up on Sunday mornings, actually on Saturday night when I'm ironing my clothes, the first thing I do 
I walk in the living room with my clothes or jacket or belt or whatever. Hey, babe, does this, does this work? Because you know? I don't want to get up on Sunday morning and look stupid. You know? I mean, there she, you know, which is very possible. You know, we, we look at social media. We want to check our followers, our likes, our reputation. Social media, reputation. We, we look at that stuff. We think about our reputation often. Let me ask you a question today. Does the glory and the reputation of Christ, does it even compare to the concern we have for our own glory and our own reputation? Jesus is sending out his disciples here with the reality, you are going to represent me. He who is worthy of far greater glory than any human being on the face of the earth that has lived or ever will live. The world has never seen anybody like me. And then finally, because Jesus is king and has all authority, he directs us in his strength and sovereignty as we fulfill the Great Commission. Lastly, I think one of the main reasons why Jesus tells his disciples here before he sends them out, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's so mean to comfort them. Man, you're, you're, you're not, and I'm going to be with you. You go out into the world to make disciples, and I'm going with you. And what do you have to fear? What do you have to worry about? If the sovereign God of all heaven and earth, authority over heaven and earth goes with you. Most people who do not follow the commands of the Great Commission, we don't because of fear. We don't follow the Great Commission. We don't go out and make disciples because of the what-ifs. What if I don't know what to do? What if I start to speak to somebody and words just won't come out? Have you ever done that before? Uh, my brother laughed. He tells a story about it. He was at the Southern Baptist Convention, and he was walking uh, down the streets, and he and his wife, and he said he saw coming up on the streets as Beth Moore was walking uh, his way, and, and uh, regardless if you're a Beth Moore fan or not, but hey, he wanted to be able to speak to her. You know, hey, but that's Beth Moore. You know, this is a, and so he said he walked by, and he went, was going to go say hello to Beth Moore, but the closer he got, the more like nervous he got, and she, he, he looked at her, and she, uh, he was going like, to say something to her, and he went, she said, she said she looked at him and was like, hello, hello. And then my sister-in-law had to like speak it. This is my husband, Kyle. You know, we let him out on occasion. All, you know. Sometimes we get afraid we don't know what to say. We may mess up and look like a hypocrite. We may face persecution for being outspoken. You know, some what-ifs that our brothers and sisters in Christ feel all over the world that we don't. What if I go out and try to make disciples and I get arrested for it? What if I get killed for it? And even those who have res- who resolved with that because of the glory of Jesus, then there's next, those next fears. What if they come after my family? What if they come after my children? In those moments, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He looks at them and he says, All authority that on heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I will be with you. What do you have to fear? I remember when I was a little boy... Uh, my dad took me to elementary school. It was a little haunted trail to elementary school. What I remember of it, it was very elementary school. It was very vanilla. You know, it was not part of the, the dark, demonic stuff that we see today. Which, by the way, Christians, if you claim to know Jesus uh, today, there is no moment in time where we celebrate death and the demonic. Okay, so just it, it's okay to have fun around that Halloween season, but but there there is there is fun and then there's dark, and the Holy Spirit can let you know. Uh, the difference there. But, but I remember he, he wanted me to go in. And the entry point was basically like a big tunnel you had to walk in. And, and I had like, I was completely freaked out. And, and you know how your little kids, parents, you, know, you got toddlers, how they can get to that point where they're, they're scared and they grab onto something. And it's like the Kung Fu Ninja grip, you know, that just will not let go. Like, I listen, Jesus will come back and my hands will come off of my wrists before I let go of this. That's kind of where I was. And I remember my dad finally looked at me. He said, will you go if I go with you? 
hey, hey, that's a game changer, you know. If, if my dad's a pretty big, strong guy. There's nothing in there that can take my dad, you know. And, and then he's tall. Everything's kind of set up for little kids. He can see anything that's coming on the horizon before I get there. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. And I think that's something that we need to reconcile in our heart and lives today. If you're afraid of taking this next step in a discipleship journey, is to know that you don't go alone. Your father goes with you. And he is strong enough to handle anything that comes your way. He is tall and mighty enough and sovereign enough to know what is on the horizon. That nothing will come to you that didn't come through his sovereign hand. It's not a promise that you won't go through hardship, but it is a promise that you'll never go through it alone. And then lastly, this morning, our final truth today is our text shows us the Great Commission should be our mission because Jesus showed us how. Jesus showed us how. In verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives us some specifics on what it means to go out and make disciples. Now, in the days ahead, we'll tell you a little bit more about this. Part of our discipleship pathway at Enon will be that twice a year, we'll provide roughly a two-hour class with some practical and intentional training for how you can begin to make disciples through something called a D group or a discipleship group. Now, the difference between these D groups will not replace life groups on Sunday mornings. In fact, they're just going to complement that in many ways. But a discipleship group is something that you can do at your work, you can do at school, you can do before practice, you can do in the evenings, you can do early in the mornings, but ways where you can begin to make disciples with the people around you. And so we can, we'll share more about that in the days ahead. But let me give you the main pillars of making disciples, according to this passage. First, in order for us to make disciples, we must tell others about Jesus. Verse 19 here says, Go, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it very clear that baptism is something that someone does after they have born again through putting their faith in Jesus. After somebody has been saved, they've given their life to Christ, that's when they follow through in baptism. That's one of the reasons why we don't uh, baptize infants. We don't do any sort of pedo-baptism here because we believe uh, that the Scripture teaches that somebody has to understand sin. They have to understand their brokenness, and they have to personally receive Jesus in order to be saved. So the fact that Jesus is telling us here that the first step to going and make disciples is baptism... He's essentially saying you got to go out and win people to Jesus. you got to share Jesus with the people around you. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus reminds us, or Paul reminds us, of the necessity of evangelism, of telling other people about Jesus in order for them to follow him. He says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Clearly this morning, the first step to making disciples is to live life telling others about Jesus and trying to convince them to follow Him. I know we live in North Jefferson County, Alabama, and there's a church on every corner. But I want you to know something. This is true, especially among the the next generation. The vast majority of people in our communities, the people that live around us, do not know Jesus today. And the vast majority of the next generation has never had an opportunity, has never had a one-on-one conversation with someone about how they could follow Jesus. I had a friend of mine that just a couple years ago went to Mormon Jordan High School to go eat lunch with some kids and sat down at a table with three guys and asked them, said, Hey guys, uh, uh, would you like to know what it means to follow Jesus? Has anybody ever talked to you about that? All three of them said nobody had ever talked to them about what it means to follow Jesus. We need to recognize that there are those around us that desperately need to hear that message and they won't hear it without us. 
Secondly, in order for us to make disciples, we must teach others about Jesus. Jesus then says in verse 20, So once you've led somebody to faith in Christ, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And what he's talking about there is basically you're teaching them the truths of Scripture. The call to make disciples is a call for someone to be able to help others understand the truths of God's Word. Let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean that you need to be a Bible scholar. That does not mean that you don't have any questions about Scripture. Listen, I have a doctoral degree and I've been in ministry for 20 years. I'm a pastor and there's still things that I have questions about. What it means for you to be able to disciple somebody, to teach them God's Word, was you you need to have a real personal relationship with Jesus. And you need to know how to read and apply God's Word to your life. If you know how to read and apply God's Word to your life and you know Jesus, you are ready to make disciples. Let me say this. A couple years ago, uh, this is when Kimberly and I was in Arkansas. We were trying to do a discipleship push among some ladies uh, there at our church. And we gave them a card, basically, after a call like this and said, uh, where are you? are you? Do you need to be discipled? Check it. Or do you, are you ready to go make disciples? Virtually everybody in the room marked that they need to be a disciple. And we start going through the names and we start finding people that have walked with Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years that I know know the Bible better than me who love Jesus and walk with God. And we started wading into those conversations. And what it really came down to is it wasn't that they, they didn't have everything that they need. They just lacked a little bit of training in order to be able to go and do that. And we're going to give you that in the days ahead. But this was something else they needed to know. At some point in your life and your walk with Jesus, you've got to stop being on the receiving side and start being on the giving side. If everybody says, I'm ready to be discipled, then nobody will be discipled. And many of you in this room have everything you need to go out and make disciples of Jesus. And finally, in order to be able to make disciples, we must train others to follow Jesus. Scripture doesn't say teaching, just teaching alone. It says teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The word observe in the Greek means to keep or attend to. Essentially, Jesus is saying that in order to make disciples, we must not only teach people God's word, but we've got to train them how to live it and apply it in their lives. Making disciples is not just telling somebody to love God, but it's showing them how to love and express God. It's getting in a prayer. Go, go pray with them. Go turn on some music and just worship the Lord together. Let them see that. Making disciples is not just telling someone not to sin, but also showing them what sin is and how to avoid it and also how to repent and learn when they fail. Church, we need to remember today that no one who comes to faith in Jesus automatically knows how to live like a Christian and honor God. They need to be trained in order to do that. And this is discipleship. I remember when I was in college, uh, I was the chaplain for the baseball team at Wallace State. And I remember I got to, to lead a guy from Ohio to Jesus. His name was Brock. And I've got a thousand stories about Brock. But he had no church background, had no knowledge of the Bible. And that may be you here today. Let me tell you something. That is okay but I remember uh, being overwhelmingly aware in trying to disciple Brock that everybody doesn't just come to the faith understanding things already, understanding God's plan. I remember one day, we were, it was around uh, Valentine's Day, and everybody was uh, getting their dates you know, set up and what we were going to do with our girlfriends and all that. And, and Brock was, uh, was talking. He had that real northern accent you know, like this. And uh, he said, Zach, man, I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, he had this really nice uh, steak dinner lined up for his girlfriend, and they were going to go watch this movie, and then they were going to go to this place, and they were going to dance and all this. He's going, I was like, hey, man, Brock's going all out. He started telling me the process, and then he said, and then after that, man, I've got us this great room in Birmingham and all that. And I was like, whoa, hang on, hang on. Time out. So I, that's called fornication. <laughs> that's, 
And that's not God's plan. Hey, started walking through him in Scripture, blew his mind. Truly had no idea that sex before marriage was something that God only intended for people that were married. He was, not, he was genuinely trying to love the Lord. He just didn't know. And that's where we are today. This is why we need discipleship. So again, the three truths of how to make disciples is telling people about Jesus, teaching the truths of God's Word, and then training them to apply God's Word to their life. I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to come and make their way back. And I want to end, again, today, how to make the Great Commission your mission. And that's, that's what I want to call you to this morning. And uh, I want to tell you a story. Kimberly and I, we had a hard situation for us this last week. We had to go and say goodbye to one of our dearest friends in Arkansas. We left on Monday afternoon. We drove up to Little Rock. We spent the night. Went to a funeral on Tuesday and, and drove back. But a man named Brent Wakefield, Brent was one of our elders at Summit that helped us start our church. We probably... Uh, wouldn't have planted that church there in Saline County if it had not been for Brent and his family. Love the Lord. Passionate guy. He was an attorney uh, in his secular job. But seven years ago, it was actually seven years to the day of his funeral, is that Brent grew up in a minister's home and did the church thing. Man, he was always in church, but he also kind of lived his own life. He did his own thing. He was a closet alcoholic. Nobody knew that. But even then, that never really affected his life. And that was just as far as anybody could see on the outside. He would have seasons where he would get excited about Jesus and then just kind of drift away. You know, this was, this, was, this was Brent's life. Seven years to the day of his funeral, he went to a men's retreat. And in that moment, he recognized that he was playing a game. And he played it his whole life. And Jesus said, for anyone who wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who wishes... To keep his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will gain it. And Brent had never fully gone all in with Jesus. But he did. He did on that day. He gave his life to Christ and he got rebaptized. He'd been baptized as a kid. He got rebaptized in January in a lake, by the way. Jesus has done something in your life, by the way. He came up out of that water on fire for Jesus. And the first thing he started doing was sharing the gospel and making disciples of men just like him. Church men, people around him, people at work. He started telling people about Jesus and discipling them. He created a little men's retreat uh, that he would take guys on. And again, this is, this is bivocational. He's, he's doing this. Uh, he's still an attorney, but he's doing this in his own time. Uh, I, we brought him on staff as our men's minister. Uh, and we paid him $1 a year just so that he could tell his partners at his law firm that he had a second job. You know, And he started telling people about Jesus. He got cancer three years ago, and then he passed away a few weeks ago, 50 years old. A 17-year-old daughter, a 16-year-old son, a 14-year-old son. It just didn't seem fair. It didn't seem fair. At the end of the funeral, when they asked if your life had been affected for Jesus by Brent Wakefield, would you walk forward? In a sanctuary of about 700 men, 100, 150 men, grown men, came forward weeping. In seven years, in seven years, he had served Jesus. And God had, he had, had a downline of people he had invested. People's lives were changed. Man, can you imagine that well done, good and faithful servant? But listen, that wasn't the part that messed me up the most. That's awesome. 
But he wasn't just discipling people around him. When Brent gave his life to Jesus and went all in, he started loving on his kids different. They were worshiping at the funeral. Had a whole worship band on the stage. And sang that song, God, you are so faithful. You've been so faithful. God, you are so, so good. And on the front row is Hollis Wakefield, this beautiful 17-year-old girl with her hands raised, worshiping Jesus. Her daddy's gone. And tell you why she's able to worship Jesus? Because she knew that Jesus was real. And she knew Jesus was real because she saw it in her dad. Because her dad wasn't playing a game. It was real. And as soon as Jesus became real, the mission became real. And I'll say this to you. The Lord spoke this to me in the second service. You know, seven in the Bible is the number of completion. Seven years to the day, Brent Wakefield came out of that water from being baptized. Seven years to the day, we laid him to rest. In the world's eyes, didn't look like it was fair. Didn't look like it was time. It was way too early. In heaven's eyes, it was completed. He had done well. He completed his work. Let me say something to you here. This man, man, women, you can live a hundred years old and not complete what God has for you. You can live all of your life and miss God's plan for you. And today, that's what he's calling you to. If you know Jesus this morning, he's calling you to more. Hey, man, we start prayer and fasting tomorrow morning. Let that be your heart. Say, oh, God, change me. Let me fall in love with you. God, be real to me. God, I want to go all in. Or maybe this morning, you just don't know him. You don't know him in a real way. Man, there's some of you in this room that I know don't know Jesus, that I've called out your name by name in prayer, that, oh, God, would, he would save you. Maybe some of you this morning, that's you. You say, Pastor Zach, I don't know Jesus, but I'm ready. Man, I'm ready. I believe he loves me. I believe he's real, and I want to follow him. Right there where you are, you can bow your head. You can pray, dear Jesus, save me. Save me. I give my life to you. Save me. If you know him this morning and you say, I want to go all in, then right there we are praying. Meet with God. This altar will be open here in a few seconds. If you want to come down here and just lay at this altar before God, come and do it. If you need somebody to pray with you, our pastors will be up front. You feel free to come. But church family, hear me this morning. Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling today. What will you do with it? I'm asking you to stand right there where you are. As we begin to sing, you do business with God. Again, if you need somebody to pray for you, if you need to join this church, you feel free to come down. Myself or Brother Donnie would pray for you. We've got counselors available that will share with you. Or you can come kneel at this altar. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that some today would hear, the, hear and answer the call to follow you. Some of you would hear and answer the call today. Lord, to serve you. Father, I pray that there would be those who hear and answer the call today to surrender to you. In Jesus' name.